Welcome to the Joyful Learning Podcast. I'm Melanie Kovac, your host. What does the future of learning look like? And how can we make it joyful? The future is already here. It's just not yet evenly distributed, as the famous quote by William Gibson says. In this podcast, we'll hear from the innovators and entrepreneurs in education, the movers and shakers who are building the future of learning. Today, I talk with Bilge Appak. Bilge is the co-founder of WeVent, a booking platform for group and learning experiences. She is originally from Turkey, studied computer science, and then moved for a corporate job to Munich and then to Switzerland, where she lives now with her husband and her boy. We talk about why she kept her corporate job for two years and kept WeVent a side hustle. We talk about her many ideas and the values of them. She shares why she's convinced it's time now for female entrepreneurship. We talk about the fact that she co-founded WeVent with her best friend and the risk analysis they made for that. We talk about how they went from only having two virtual experiences bookable on their platform to having 50 in a matter of days, where she sees the future of learning going. And we joke about the story of her name and why you should definitely incorporate that exercise. Enjoy. Welcome, Bilge. Hi, Melanie. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining. So, Bilge, I want to start with a question going back to childhood. When you were a teenager, or maybe even a girl, what did you think you wanted to become when you grow up? Good start. <laughs> Let me think. I don't remember, to be honest, what I wanted to become, but I think I told my mother, she always reminds me that, I will have five servants for her at home that will help her with everything. She doesn't need to do anything herself. So I probably imagine that I'm going to be rich. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. And then you studied computer science in Turkey, right? Right. I was in Istanbul during my college years. I did computer science, but my life took me somewhere else. I, I, now I do tech and um, business together. And you came to Switzerland for the corporate job about 10 years ago. Exactly. I started in Munich, my uh, corporate years, started as an intern, you know, as they say, you start from the lowest level. <laughs> and, then, and then after working a couple of years in Munich, my life led me to Zurich. And I think it has been almost or more than 10 years now I'm in Zurich, Switzerland. And can you remember at, at what point did you decide you would like to become an entrepreneur? Yeah, I have clear moments in my life. I think this was very prominent. But I think if I go back to childhood again, my first memory of being an entrepreneur was at the age of eight. I convinced my closest friend. I think that's how it works. I always convince my close friends <laughs> to do something with me to create this handwritten magazine. I think it was like 10 pages or so. We really drew everything. And we even promised to give a car for free. <laughs> Probably that was also a toy car. I don't remember now. <laughs> we sold, we, we did five copies and we sold them. Uh, I think that was my first memory about entrepreneurship. And then fast forward to these days, there, I did the studies in IE, business school for masters in digital marketing. And the biggest emphasis was back then on the entrepreneurship. I think that put my mind back into what I can do myself. So that's how it started, I think, to really, uh, with, with the clear step, what, I'm, what I want to do as an entrepreneur. 
you already knew when you were studying what you wanted to do as an entrepreneur or just that you'd love to be an entrepreneur one day? I think I've tried different things in my life to start something because I'm kind of a person enjoying the, the, with this desire to make something out of nothing. And then I cannot wait to present it to others. <laughs> so this was always a part of me. But during the studies, I came up with several ideas. Of course, we had to present an idea to the, uh, to the committee who were real investors to get our final degree uh, to pass or not. It made us think what is actually valuable to people, what could we do? So that actually at that moment, I came up with an initiative, um, which was more NGO related. But then afterwards, <laughs> I went back to more my uh, business corporate world, what I could do there as well, which led me to today what I'm doing today. How did you decide between all these ideas that we went was the one you wanted to pursue further? I, I actually didn't plan to stop my NGO idea, but back that, those days I got a horrible uh, migraine problem, which I couldn't really leave the house for six months. It was really uh, serious. Back then I had to do work, work from home <laughs> because of my situation. So I had to stop that NGO idea because I couldn't take the team to the next step. So it was quite, uh, back then it was very serious uh, entrepreneurship, but Yeah, I didn't want to disappoint people who were working with me for no money. And we had to stop. And the whole sickness took me two years to overcome, which was, I was getting very well by the end of it. But it mm -hmm. took really two years. So I had to drop it because of that. And I But you were always working during these two years at the corporate. Correct. Yes. Mm. Uh, they, they had a very good understanding what were the problems and how I could cope with it. So we made it work. It, it was just, I had to sleep a lot and, you know, mm -hmm. I had to take care of myself like an old person, but yeah, I could still work. That There was no problem with that. What was uh, the impact of that? I imagine like, you know, two years of your life being sick and, and working from home. And, and as you just said, like feeling like an old person, what did that do to you? I mean, I was still going to work, but when I needed to stay home, when this migraine hit me, because it wasn't the normal migraine, it was also migraine with aura, so I had to be careful. I don't want to explain it more, but it could be, you know, people, if are interested, can check it, can Google it. So I was still going to work, but whenever I needed, I could stay home. And I, I felt like I needed it, you know, I needed to stay home and I needed to cut my social life Because whenever I promised someone to go out, I could just suddenly I could have this attack and I had to call them and say, hey, I cannot come. So mm -hmm. instead of doing that, I, I just didn't make more plans. I was more spontaneous. But, it, it, you know, in the long run, you understand what triggers that and you have more control of that. Yeah, recently, I don't really have it anymore. You still might have attacks here and there every couple of months, but. You, you learn how to cope with it. So I think it was a transition almost from being a young person to adult, real adult. So I didn't see a big uh, side effect, let's say. Wow. But that was before you started WeWent, right? Exactly. And during that, I think while I was going through it, maybe mid, mid of it, I came up with this idea. I was still you know, joining Startup Weekends to, to hear what people are doing. 
And then I had this idea and I, I did the best step in my life. I asked again my closest friend if she would like to partner up. I asked her because she is a very successful HR leader and the idea of Levent is around team development and team learning. Mm-hmm. So it would only make sense together that I am a tech and entrepreneurial and innovative person uh, that come together with an HR leader to create this HR tech education tech platform. Wow. And and how did you have any reservations about, you know, like some people say you shouldn't work with your best friends or with friends at all. And other people say like, it's the best thing. How, how was it for you? Absolutely. It was a risk. We had to, from day one, when I brought it to the table, we had to discuss and uh, we actually made a risk analysis, how this would affect our friendship. Would we, are we willing to take it or not? Like with a real, you know, like a real spreadsheet and stuff or? <laughs> more, more talking, but we had okay. kind of agreement on the values, you know, like we said, if this happens, then what happens? We, we played with the scenarios and uh, the values of being transparent, trusting each other, uh, those things, like in a marriage. <laughs> <laughs> well, they say it, it's, it's as big as a marriage, finding a, a business partner or a co-founder. I totally agree to that. Yes, we always say um, I'm her other husband, you know, she's my <laughs> other wife. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she, she, yeah, we're, we're, we're wives, wives together, how you say that. <laughs> <laughs> And how, how do your actual husbands deal with that? They don't mind because, you know, we have been always friends. They, they always knew each other. So there is no difference. We just talk a lot more. <laughs> And yeah, they, we are all big family in the end. This is how it works today. But back to your original question. There are some friends, you know, who could do this, you know, separate this relationship. And there are friends who cannot. I know those friends. I wouldn't change that friend to a coworker because I knew this wouldn't be a good solution for us. Mm -hmm. Before you mentioned Startup Weekend, we both went to Startup Weekends. And so maybe for the listeners that don't know Startup Weekends, so Startup Weekends are 54-hour events, usually in person. I don't, I don't know whether actually now during COVID they also went online, but usually it starts Friday night, people pitching their ideas, And then the best ideas get voted for and people form teams. And then they work on the business idea over the weekend, get coaching on Saturdays from entrepreneurs and uh, have to pitch it on Sunday um, in front of judges and can win prizes. There are three criteria, if I remember correctly. So you have to go out on the street and validate your business idea. You have to show a prototype in whatever form, like a website or something with cardboard or whatever. And you have to show a business model. If I remember correctly, Bilge. Yes. And in, yeah, in the end, like you said, after all doing these steps, you have to pitch your idea in front of everyone. And that evening, usually more people coming than whoever has been just part of the Startup Weekend to right. watch it. Yeah, and it's quite exciting and uplifting and making you sure if your idea is okay to go or not. And that's how we went for we went because the idea kind of approved there. You won third place, right? Like that's how yeah, you right. got started. Yes, we won third place and the best pitch award. 
Congratulations. And, and I'm so happy to also hear from Startup Weekend alumni that they're made it, you know, like, you know, for a lot of people, I remember that it's mainly, you know, just planting the seeds of entrepreneurship. And then they, on Monday, they go back to their corporate jobs and maybe for several years, don't start a startup or, or don't continue on their idea. But you guys really started from there. That's amazing. Yeah, we, we took a chance. And after seeing the positive reaction to it, we, we anyway had the idea to do this. We just kept going until now. Still keeping going, keep going with it. Yes. How, to how many startup weekends have you been before you won the, the third place with WeMent and Best Pitch Award? I think that was my third. Uh, the first one, I didn't pitch. I was part of just watchers, feeling the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And second one, I joined a team. I didn't pitch again. I mean, I, we pitched with the team. And the third one, I went with the intention to pitch my own idea. I right. actually have today this craving, you know, I, I have ideas. I'm like, oh, I should take this to start up weekend. <laughs> Again, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, why not? I was, I mean, we, we, I was at the board last year of the startup weekend. Uh, and recently uh, I finished my board duty there. Mm -hmm. uh, so now I can go back <laughs> to pitch if I want to. Of course. Uh, and so, yes, that's also a topic I wanted to discuss with you. I, I know you as a person with a lot of ideas. And uh, we've also bumped ideas uh, against each other. And so how, how do you deal with that? You know, like having lots of ideas, but at the same time, maybe not always the time and resources. And, and how do you evaluate for which idea to go and pursue? I'm, I'm not going to lie. I have a lot of ideas. <laughs> I'm, you know, especially these days, you know, digital uh, bombarding everywhere on social media we, we read articles and then we get stimulated right if, especially if you are a versatile person that you're interested in many things and then they give you more ideas they inspire you it's not a bad thing but then it gives you this also pressure okay what's my next what can I do more or what I would enjoy so some ideas I had in the past, I just put them in the closet until they could come out. It's their time. So it's nothing wrong to do that. Also, it's easier to focus on one thing to, if you want to really see the success of coming somewhere. So, yeah, it, it's hard to deal with that, especially now we are at home uh, most of the time uh, due to the pandemic more ideas are coming <laughs> uh, yeah he, you become more stimulated to take act action on it so I, I mean I, I try to make a list as simple as it, as it is and try to guess which one would bring the most value to me and to others apart from the event we have also shake up the workplace initiative for future of work ecosystem so that that was an idea came last year and we we said this is this needs to happen now so mm -hmm. we acted on it and yeah and i remember the conference was planned just when covid broke out in switzerland i was supposed to join yeah on monday before the federal officials actually uh, announced lockdown and you cancelled it and I, I found it a very bold move and in retrospect of course the right move so you were one of the first that I, I realized, wow, this, this shit is real. 
<laughs> yeah, we we were so shaken by it. <laughs> Shake up the workplace decision. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It was still below 1000 people were okay to do any event back then, but we took the decision with 300 people to postpone it. You know, all that efforts, uh, just one week left to the event. We we actually felt it in our body the next days, uh, that heaviness of that decision. Mm. But like I said, it was the right decision. We we are happy we didn't put more people into a situation where they could get sick. And we are now we're looking forward to do it in October 19th. And we don't know yet if it's still possible. Uh, we will wait and see. But that's the new date. Let's cross our fingers. Yes. <laughs> we'll link the event in the show notes so people can find it. Um, okay. So I want to, before I will continue with that, because I know that you've been doing webinars because you had to delay the Shake Up the Workplace conference. I want to go back to what you just said before, that uh, I, I love that you said, you know, you put the ideas in the closet. I, I think it's a gift that you have these many ideas. You know, a lot of people are jealous <laughs> that you have a lot of uh, ideas and a lot of good ones. And then you said you evaluate them based on how much value they provide. Mm -hmm. Can you elaborate a bit on that? Like, how do you measure value? I mean, there is value to others if they would like that kind of service, if they would buy it. But then also there's the value financially to you. It doesn't bring enough margin. Your efforts, would, would they be paid off? Or is it in the end just for your pure joy? So there are these dimensions, right? Value to others, value to you, value to your financial bucket. Mm -hmm. When you say, you know, you, you even think about the financial margin, do you have a way of calculating this? You know, like, uh, is, it, is it just based on your feeling or do you do a real like analysis or write your assumptions down and, and kind of check them a little bit when you have an idea? Yeah, I, I think I do that if it's more than an idea, I, I put that on wheels i don't do it on the idea basis if it's more than an idea if i really want to execute it then i it, it's more than an idea then it's it's in the testing stage let's say then i mm. do financials yes and else it's in in the closet i guess on on some kind of list waiting to come out at some point Yes, I have a book. It's, I mean, not book, it's a green one, you know, it's somehow it's separate than the others. And I note all any ideas that I have that comes, even it's stupid. I write it there. Sometimes an idea comes back to me three times, you know, and then that, that's, and if I still didn't write it that in the notebook, I'm like, why, why? I have to go back and write this. Well, yeah, the idea is persistent then. It's it's kind of, <laughs> you cannot <laughs> ignore it. Exactly. And now my husband is in the same boat almost. Uh, not that he's taking the notes, but he keeps coming back to me. He's like, what about this? What about that? I think uh, staying at home <laughs> kind of made him also get that back from me, let's say. Cool. Yeah, I think it's James Altusher who says in his book, Choose Yourself, that you should, you know, in order to exercise your brain muscle and creativity, write down 10 ideas a day. And it can be 10 ideas. It doesn't have to be business ideas. It can be ideas about, you know, what, what should I cook today or what should I wear or anything. 
but basically I think it's a good exercise to to stimulate the brain muscles. So before we move on, I want to go back again because I know that you were still working in your corporate job while you started WeVent. How long did you stay in a corporate job and why? And at what point did you decide to go all in on the startup idea we bent? Let's say, you know, we didn't really plan, okay, this is the time we have to start fully in. I'm sure some for some businesses it's like that because uh, things are taking off in an amazing way and <laughs> they don't have enough capacity to do both on the corporate side and the, on the entrepreneurial side. For us, we just needed to start to see where it will go. So we did, we did that. Of course, you need to put more energy into it if you really want it to be successful. It won't be enough if you are both in the corporate and also trying to move your side hustle. It will be a side hustle. So for us, it came as more like a feeling. We did that after two years. We Both me and my friends and business partner, we left together the corporate environment because we felt like that was the right time. It was two years since we started. It was a lot of juggling. My business partner already had a kid. Uh, actually, she was pregnant when we presented the idea in Startup Weekend. Wow. Yeah, our somehow our journey is always like together with this pregnancies and, uh, you know, pitching somewhere and the, the ideas or, or pitching in front of an investor while we're pregnant. I love that. <laughs> we need more uh, role models like you too. Thanks. I mean, in the end, the, we women, we don't have so much choice, right? If you really want to achieve something, um, there will be always family or having a kid in the plans if you really want that. So maybe it's not about timing. It's about understanding how we can have it together. Mm-hmm. We, we cannot have it all, but we can have it together. Mm-hmm. So while my partner was pregnant, we still went ahead because we asked ourselves, if not now, when? Because the right time might never come when we knew we wanted to do this. So we still went ahead. So she had her baby. We had our meetings on the weekends. You know, we still had our corporate jobs, which we loved. It wasn't about not liking the corporate jobs. I think we were lucky. We were in a workplace that had good values. Uh, We had great colleagues. We had good flexibility, great bosses. So it wasn't the corporate that we decided to leave. It was just that we, we needed more time to invest into ourselves and invest into business. And we could not do all of that, having a family, having a corporate life. Yes, we earned the money. That was a great comfort zone, which is not helpful to grow your business. But we had enough backup money, so to say, to invest into our business. So that was a decision from our side. Basically, okay, let's go all in. And 10 plus years in the corporate is good enough. We learned what we learned. Let's do something different was the idea when we left. I want to go back to what you said, that you were pitching pregnant in front of investors and hear about how that went, how it was received. I mean, it never came up uh, to be discussed. So that was the time, first time Ola was pregnant and we were at the stage of the startup weekend. Nobody mentioned it. It was just normal, two people pitching. 
And uh, when I was pregnant, we pitched, uh, we're part of EdTech, EdTech Collider from EPFL. Mm -hmm. And we went to Lausanne to pitch and I was really pregnant by then. <laughs> so again, that was not part of the conversation. It just, nobody said anything. So it's normal as part of the life and as it should be. Yes, mm -hmm. pregnancy can be tough, but if you could do it, you should do it. Yeah, I love your attitude about, you know, you can't have it all at the same time, but you can have it together and find a way to make it work. I think that's a beautiful way to put it. Thanks. And I mean, I can go on about woman entrepreneurship, woman leadership, if you want me to add to, because I really believe futures about women. Uh, especially now with the digital capabilities we have that we didn't have in the past. It's so easy to put a business out there. I mean, women are multitasking more than men. I'm not saying it to diminish men's capabilities. It's just, it's in our, more in our DNA than men's because we take care of child, home, and plus work. Somehow it's a reality that we have the more of the mental load of the family rather than the men. So with that capacity we have or built in us, it's becoming much easier for a woman to put something out there in a quicker manner. And I have to also acknowledge men has other skills, right? Coming from our DNAs again. They, they are better at selling themselves, more confident and things like that. So I'm not saying this to put out our differences but this is why I believe it's about now women being mm -hmm. in the front we, we can use those new capabilities better uh, this digital capabilities there are more forums more platforms for women to voice themselves and help each other you know there are so many platforms Facebook groups about anything amazing women networks kick-ass girls mm -hmm. uh, which I'm part of as well you know it's we are unstoppable now It's amazing. There are so many online courses out there and mostly made by women. I dare to say it's probably 60% by women. And why? Because, you know, we, if we can build something at home, we will. I, my kid goes to daycare 100%. So I have my time for my business. But there are women out there who have still capacity to do something, but they have to take care of their kid as well. And the time that they have in their hand, they can start a business easier than before. I'm mm -hmm. not saying it's, it's super easy. It's not easy. It will be a lot of work. But now there are more women daring this with the capabilities that is open for anyone who has internet and a laptop. I love that. It's so powerful to realize what kind of tools we have at our disposal to do anything with it if we just dare to do it and and as you said also start small and try something out exactly i think yeah more women will be in the forefront the world will become a better place because we we can show more the maternal instinct love and care that needs to be given and all around us the the feminine energy that both men and women have but you know the business world has been so masculine correct I, i actually suck at multitasking so there like <laughs> let's see once once i'll have uh, children how i how i manage that but uh, besides that i i agree with you 
the, the opportunities we have these days are unprecedented and it's so powerful if you realize that they are there and that you can use them. Yeah, now we need to use them. And I'm, I'm very hopeful about the future just because of this fact. I love that. So now I'd love to go back to how you handled the pandemic in the last few months. So we already started talking a little bit about Shake Up the Workplace. And I know instead of the conference with Free on the People, you started doing webinars. And then also with WeWent, you have group experiences that people can book on a platform. And I know that you have about 200 experiences and that you went from having only two virtual bookable experience to 50 in just a matter of days. So right. I'd love to hear a little bit more about, you know, how you handled that challenge of going online within a few days. So event is about now future skills workshops mm -hmm. uh, and it's more about team learning and development and we believe human connection at work in this digital era so everybody goes online learning is online and that's great but we shouldn't forget that we need this human interaction we cannot take it out and and some of the learnings are mem more memorable if there's a human interaction and experience related to it so we, we still stay on that side and we are keeping the front line for blended learning. That's why most of our workshops and activities on the platform were catered to face-to-face. -to -face. Like you said, we had only two. When the pandemic happened, we had to act quickly to respond, A, the need of the online learning, still it has to go on, and B, keep our business and provide our businesses alive. So we could not just, you know, <laughs> okay, we're not just going to do any business in the next couple of months, and especially unknown time. I think what helped us was this entrepreneurial skills. We are nimble. We're a small team. You can turn things around in a very short time. And that this was, again, the proof of it. So within, I think, two weeks, we moved from almost 82% of our workshops to yeah, 50 workshops that could be delivered online. Yeah, it took us many calls with our providers, creating new workshops that caters this working remotely and uh, online collaboration and things like that. I want to ask here, I just heard that you said you created new workshops. So it was not all about just, you know, putting everything that you had basically offline online or offering as a, an online or virtual event or workshop, but rather also catering right away to the new need arising? It, it was both. So we checked which workshops is doable still online. We, we have the tools, you know, with breakout rooms and things like that. So it wasn't an issue. It was more really checking the content of some of the workshops. So we had to discuss with the providers. But then also now the, there's the need, right? Some people need to learn what is home office, what mm -hmm. is, how do you balance it out? Because there's no more clear lines. Okay, now I'm home. I don't have to work. You're always home. Where, where does the work stop and where does it start? Then calls. People, some people are not having enough experience joining calls all day on their computer now, especially with video. You know, there's so much to learn out there. And we discuss with our providers who are, we, we call them 
prime external talents. So th these are the people who knows methodologies, different future skills, and they they could directly tell us, oh, you know, we have to now prepare this. They, they knew it even before we approached to them. So it was more a matter of how we present it. It's wonderful that you were so nimble and able to adapt so fast. So when you said you asked yourself and had a talk with the providers whether a workshop or team event is doable online, what kind of criteria did you look at? How, how did you evaluate whether it was doable online or not? And, and in which cases did you also say, no, this has to be and stay a human experience, meaning an offline event, so mm -hmm. you couldn't do it in the last few months? What we've done, we chose some of our best sellers, let's say. We, we didn't look at the whole 200. I mean, we did, but we had to also quickly say, okay, we're not going to touch this 150. We're just going to look at this 50, or we, we're just going to look at this 100 in detail and narrow it down. So we already knew some of them, like team activities that needs to be outdoor. You cannot, you cannot do anything with those. So, you know, it was easy. Yeah. And then some of the topics are much needed now, like resilience, mindfulness. Those topics, of course, we put it right in the beginning of our checklist. And then in the content, was there anything that needed to happen really with the human touch? And if we could change whatever was happening with the human touch into something else that could be still virtual experience? It was really looking into the details, how the, the sessions were delivered and would it cut a lot if we just made them on, on the virtual environment. And you, most of the time the answer was no. But again, if you want the human interaction to make it more memorable, you still want to have that maybe later on when it's possible. It's not that because it's possible on virtual, we have to keep doing this on virtual. Yes, when you don't have any other options, virtual is great. But if you have the option to come together, it will you will benefit from the investment much more. So, so what would you advise? I'm sure you're now also thinking about the future. And, and of course, as long as it's not possible to do in-person events, the virtual ones are the ones to go. But in the future, having both options and now having stress tested and really used the online versions and and for sure not yet explored the whole potential that online has to offer but where do you see the future of learning going i mean future of learning is definitely online and maybe mixed with ar vr <laughs> that that's where it's going for sure and that's normal it's, it's just great you know today if you if you really just think about the basics how how we deal with learning it's embedded in our lives, actually. You know, babies are doing it. Even grandparents are doing it. We, we don't feel it, but we are doing it on, on just every moment of our lives. You know, the data collected by our phones. We, we learn about ourselves, first of all, you know, on a daily basis. Oh, this is the number of steps I took today. <laughs> That's my consumption of my food. Or you read an article or you, you listen to a podcast. So you learn on a daily basis without noticing. It's just, just part of the life. So it's only natural that it becomes a number one tool for businesses. We need to foster learning and development online. That's clear. It can happen from micro-learning to 
mastering new subjects over years sometimes. So the, these are all possible online and on your own pace. I think here, what we know very well is that the definition of teams are changing. That's why I've, we want to focus on teams. You know, there's agile, there's collective wisdom. And uh, when people are in teams, they perform double the time better. So there's this team effect. And how do you make sure you learn with your team? So if you lock people in their own learning program, individual, personalized, they'll definitely learn. But will they learn the right thing to go to, to perform the best in a company environment? I think it, it's very limited. You know, impact comes from the implementation of those passive learnings. How do they implement it? They need to implement it together. And with AI, it's not anymore about one person. It's about a team. It's about our collective performance. So if you put all of this together and the human interaction, then the, then the learning is more memorable and you can learn it over and over. And the people you learned it together knows that. I mean, online learning is way to go. It's great. It will happen. But you need to think of how do you make it impactful and memorable and applicable with your team. That's why we are focusing on uh, blended learning, mm -hmm. you know, that you, you learn on your own, but you also need to learn together with your team. You, you create your values. You create your understanding around the topics like agile, you know, uh, 3D printing or whatever, whatever is the skill upskilling you need to do sometimes mm -hmm. you need to do with your with your team yeah and of course it's about lifelong learning now it's it's a subject right yes um, half of the workforce will need to significantly upskill in the next five years it's five you said did i hear that correctly in the next five years yes wow. half of the workforce 54 percent yes. of the workforce need to upskill It's incredible. And you cannot expect that they will do this alone. Mm -hmm. You cannot just give a 24-7 online learning platform and expect them. It's going to happen. I love how you said, you know, like, how can we make it impactful, memorable, and applicable? And you said something very interesting that I would like to understand a little bit better. You said it's about implementing passive learning. Can you mm -hmm. say, like, elaborate what you mean by that? Yeah. So passive learning is when you sit in front of a computer, you listen, let's say you are having a bite-sized learning uh, on... Or people listening to this podcast <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or whatever yeah. podcast. Right. So let's take this podcast, yeah, and they learned something out of it. They, they learned how to make lists of their ideas or how to use them. But they need to go and talk to someone about it to make it active. Mm -hmm. At least talk. talking is one action. And then discussing, you know, or, or starting to draw something about it, understanding your learning. So these are kind of actions that makes it active and implemented or implemented in a way that you really take an action on your learning to try it in an area. So th these are how you activate a passive learning. So in a classroom, usually a learning is active because there's a discussion. Yes, I love that. And, and that's exactly the part that it's missing if you just consume whatever knowledge or online course, but are not actively, you know, talking or reflecting about it or discussing it or really understanding it and making it meaningful as such. And then thinking about how and where can I apply this? 
I like when you said meaningful. Yeah, that this is the thing. I am personally limiting myself not to read everything that's online that comes in front of my eye. You know, this, how do they call it? This uh, mindless scrolling. We are fatigued of that. We need to understand what, what is meaningful to us, what we need to learn, not jump into everything. Yeah, basically, if we want to learn something actively, we have to have a plan with it. And, and passive learning is not a problem. Uh, usually, if you do courses online, like let's say Udemy, they have exercises, right, to make it mm -hmm. active. So th those are some of the ways to make it active. That's why workbooks are great. You buy a workbook today, um, you just don't learn, but you also take notes on it. Or it takes you through a journey with questions and you have to answer those questions on the workbook. Like we are making one workbook about now, uh, work from home. We already oh, published uh, published a PDF just so you can read, but we are also making a workbook about it now. Oh, I love that. Let's link it in the show notes so people can find it. Perfect. We can do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to hear the question you have and are very curious about for my next guest. If do they have a learning strategy mm. for themselves? I love that. It's also something we we started speaking about before, right? When you said... For the learning to be active, you need a plan. Do they have a learning strategy for themselves? I'd love to hear from you one exercise you are doing in an online workshop. I'll give two. Okay, one would be online. The other would be probably offline. I need to think if it could be applied to offline. But I, I leave it to the listener if they can think if it could be applied to offline. So I learned these two exercises, icebreakers, so to say, from our providers. One is um, we were sitting in a big group, let's say 40 people, and the, the facilitator stands up or even goes on a chair up and say, okay, come here, everybody, you, you get her up. And then now I want you to mingle, find one person and ask questions like, the question is up to you, but the questions can be like, What is your favorite next Netflix series? Uh, or are you a cat person or a dog person? Already while you're listening, it's, you understand it's a fun question. It's quite personal. And then you have only one minute. Once the one minute is finished, the facilitator again says, hey, you need to change now. Go to the next person of your choice. So I, I enjoyed this a lot because it, it just puts a dumb smile on your face and lets you think really about the other person and have fun. Easy, real icebreaker, you know, and, and creates a mood that people are, oh, I know this guy likes about, you know, uh, this character in this series about, I don't know, <laughs> like Big Bang Theory, <laughs> things like that. So I like that exercise a lot. And then the second one, I think this is good for online. It's called Tell Story of Your Name. And I don't know if you have played it. Well, actually, I haven't played it myself, but at Fink, the School of Creative Leadership, where I was in Amsterdam, they always ask new people who joined our kind of more open innovation classes to introduce themselves by uh, explaining the story of their name. Yeah, so if I explain it, basically you just start explaining uh, your name what does it mean or it has any story attached to it 
Of course, the facilitator gives an example by starting with his name. I find it quite interesting because I, I could tell a lot about myself without telling about myself, you know. So if I give an example with my name, it's actually I have a middle name, so I had to say it there too. It gives a better story. And I actually added also my husband's surname uh, to give a full review about myself. So Bilge Selan Apaksato. Uh, Bilge has a meaning in Turkish. It means wise. And Selan means sound. It's again Turkish name. And Apak, again Turkish, which means very clean or very white. It's wise sound very clean. <laughs> it's, it's a funny, it becomes a funny name, but you you should understand that all Turkish names has meaning, which is not common in other countries. I didn't know that. That's that's a great learning. Yeah, it, it's fun. You know, next person you meet Turkish, you can ask, oh, what's, what does your name mean? I will definitely <laughs> do that. <laughs> I think it's just funny, you know, to tell the story. And, and what, if there's no meaning behind, you can tell why your parents gave you this name. It, it will just something be personal and that you haven't probably told anyone. Um, yes, so. I love that. And, it's and just yeah, special. it's very personal. So that would be my two favorite icebreakers at the moment. I think it will change along the years. Well, so let's wrap this up here. I'd, I'd love to talk to you more. I really, really enjoyed the conversation with you. Thank you for joining the third episode on, on the Joyful Learning Podcast, Bilge. Thanks so much, Melanie. As I said, it's a pleasure and we will be talking more. And if anybody has questions to me afterwards, please contact me on my LinkedIn. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Joyful Learning Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Now head over to melanikovac.com. There you find the show notes with all the resources that we mentioned in this episode. You get to connect to the guest speakers and you can join the conversation and the community around Joyful Learning. Let's make learning joyful again. See you soon.